World Pride has touched down in Sydney and people from across the sexual and gender spectrum are gathering in venues throughout the city. But just recently on this program, we heard people's memories of how hard it's been to find their communities and gather publicly over the last 50 or so years. Over the next two weeks on Life Matters, we will continue to explore the histories of different LGBTQ plus spaces and how they've changed over time. Today, the Lesbian Bar. It's an increasingly rare space as many dedicated venues for queer women and trans people have shut up shop in Australia and abroad. And it's left many women-loving women feeling without a place to call their own and yearning for the glory days of girl bars. But Nat Tenchich asks whether bricks and mortar lesbian venues were ever really more fact than fiction. Where are the lesbian clubs in Melbourne? Where are the clubs for people that are non-cis gay men? I mean, I'm constantly yearning for a lesbian wine bar <laughs> that I've not seen. Yeah, but like there's events. Events! I don't want to wait once a month. There's a lack of options to meet lesbians. There's, you know, various club nights, though few of them are for lesbians. There's really not much else. Dearly beloved and fabulous, we gather here today to mourn the lesbian bar. Sweaty, glittery, freeing, a place to hang out and drink with the femmes and butchers, to be yourself and meet a new like-minded friend or something more any night of the week. The young queer and trans women of today barely knew her. And while brick and mortar venues for gay men or a general LGBTQ crowd continue to thrive, as you could hear, Queer Australian women have been feeling without a home to call their own. Pour one out for the glasshouse, hunters. May the spaces for the babes rest in peace. That's my sort of eulogy for the Dyke Bar. It's a requiem that's constantly on rotation in lesbian circles. And it's one that will be played again for World Pride this year, as US installation artist Macon Reed is performing something of a seance, transforming a gallery space into a dyke bar of old with a colourful twist. I kind of just drew from a number of places that I knew and loved and then added my own aesthetic to it. So the installation is really bright. I think of it as a sort of like queering of color, like the color is so strong that it, you know, it's almost aggressive. And so you walk into the space and you'll see there's like this hot pink um, with purple over it wood paneling that we've painted onto the walls. There's a big brightly colored bar with lots of bottles behind of it. And there's a whole wall of archival images that we've been collecting from Sydney and a pool table and a dartboard um, and then places basically to sit and have a drink. Um, we'll also have a, a stage for all of our events. Eulogy for the Dyke Bar is half installation, like with the sculptural components, and then half the sort of relationship building that comes through creating programming for the community. But the thrust of the work, Macon says, is about longing for a place to gather. Lesbian bars have been closing in America and here too. And while she spent time in the odd lesbian bar in the US, of which there are less than 15 nationwide, she longs for more accessible women's spaces. You know, when thinking about this project before, especially one of them closed, or the, the Lexington um, in San Francisco was like iconic for many years. Um, I love Ginger's in Brooklyn, Henrietta Hudson's. Um, in Manhattan, I, I, these were some of the spaces I was looking at and thinking about. But the truth is the 
The real relationship I have to Dyke Bars is kind of coming of age in the time that I did. My relationship to them was absence. You know, I couldn't find them in many cities that I lived in. So a lot of my favorite queer experiences have happened in underground parties and at friends' houses and in the woods because I haven't had access to these spaces. And that's that yearning and that sense of isolation and inequity, seeing these other queer, you know, gay spaces that weren't for me and my people. That's actually what really led me to create the project. But while we've been in mourning and screaming for a dive like the days of old, this historic idea of the fixed lesbian bar with a pool table and Alanis Morissette on the jukebox might be more of a Mandela effect fantasy. Dr. Karen Drysdale researches queer women's spaces at UNSW, and she says in Australia, these places were much more transient than we might remember. The death of the lesbian bar is actually quite a popular notion and it's really provoked some activist um, and advocate responses to try and maintain the viability of lesbian bars. Empirically, of course, there have been closures around the world of former long-running lesbian bars that either couldn't compete commercially um, and also just the wider processes um, of gentrification, of the decline of the so-called neighbourhood, um, which is areas of spatial occupation by LGBTQ people. Um, so this is a real thing. At the same time, There's been a lot of research by geographers of sexuality who have pointed out that the lesbian bar may in fact be a little bit more of a mythical object rather than the bricks and mortar kind of establishment that we usually think about when we think about the lesbian bar. Dr Drysdale says that in Australia at least, those queer women's events and takeovers of established venues have always been the norm. And in fact, we haven't really lost what we think we might have. Lesbian space and the lesbian bar has always been a bit of a precarious thing. There was a a fair bit of opposition to lesbians joining into venues that catered towards gay male patronage. So a bit of hostility there, both from venue managers and from patrons about um, whether lesbian and queer women were welcome in those spaces. Dawn O'Donnell had a huge impact on the types of spaces that were made available. You know, she'd opened up particular venues like the Trolley Bar, Ruby Reds and other sort of places that were known to be lesbian friendly. And there was also um, a brief stint with a lesbian bathhouse um, in Bondi at one point. But other than those, there's sort of been not really a type of lesbian bar in Australia that you see in places like Northern America or the UK where these things are, you know, stable bars, bricks and mortar bars that are owned and operated by queer or lesbian women and that actively invite patronage from queer and lesbian clients and consumers. So instead, in Australia, we tended to have a more borrowing or temporary kind of arrangement. Um, And this was most evident in places like Newtown, Sydney, where Wednesday nights became dyke night. And this was following a happy coincidence of a range of different event promoters approaching venue management to say, is there a night of the week where we can host something for lesbian and queer women? Um, And Wednesday night sort of became the default for that. And that was further cemented when the Sly Fox Hotel started running the weekly um, drag king shows um, that were up on Enwell Road. So you had this kind of night that came about almost by a happy accident um, and that kind of got concretized and cemented as um, the night of the week for um, lesbian queer women. So on Wednesday night, um, a lot of um, these women would go to um, venues that weren't specifically lesbian bars, but may have been LGBTQ friendly and sort of take over for that night of the week. And so the lesbian bar kind of 
retains almost like an imaginary pull on people, that this idea that this lesbian bar exists and should be protected at all costs. Um, and that's and that sort of goes against the actual empirical data that we have on the existence of lesbian bars. So why have queer women, trans and non-binary people been left with ephemeral spaces while Oxford Street in Sydney and Smith Street in Melbourne are dotted with gay men's bars you can go to at any night of the week? There is something to be said for wondering where one might go to be able to find people that are interested in the same sort of things, um, where queer and lesbian women might go to meet new people and to hook up and to cruise and to dance and to socialise. And then, you know, looking at these um, long-standing establishments that have catered um, primarily towards gay uh, and also I might want to add here cisgender um, gay men, you know, that could be a little bit of a, of a bit of a shock and a little bit of a source of confusion and um, maybe even a little bit of jealousy. But there have been very different arrangements historically that have led to the sort of concretization of these gay male spaces. You know, thinking about the history of Oxford Street and the types of money um, that was made available. Queer women historically have earned less than gay men. They've had less disposable income, um, sometimes because um, they might have families that they prioritise over um, socialization that they might want to spend their money on securing residential stability for for their families and for themselves and their partners. So I think when you take all of these things together, then I think that lesbians and queer women have more adapted to the sense of a mobile scene rather than the kind of institutionalization of leisure venues um, that you might sort of describe Oxford Street as, if that makes sense. Karen also says that there have been big shifts in how women and trans folk in the LGBTQ community identify. It's become more integrated and there's less of an urge to separate into gender segregated spaces. The new wave of events being all inclusive may have just made the gal bar obsolete. You know, you see these changing demographics. Um, research has also told us that people are less wedded to the stability of identity as, say, a lesbian or queer woman um, and are more likely to seek out venues where there might be less sex segregation, so less the lesbian bar and more like the queer bar, for example. And, you know, these queer spaces are also subject to the same commercial conditions that the lesbian bars in Australia have been. So they are sort of precarious and ephemeral, but they, they're very inventive and innovative in how they can sort of carve out these spaces that can cater towards the needs of their, um, their patrons and their clients. So I think that's a really important thing to think about is that we're not just lamenting the closure of these lesbian bars as the final say in how queers and lesbian women congregate and socialise, but we're also seeing at the same time these the kind of emergence of these new spaces and these new arrangements where queer and lesbian women might feel also um, comfortable in attending and invited into. But for Macon Reed and many female trans and non-binary queers, myself included, while gay bars are great places to be, it's nice to imagine a space that's a bit more specific and safe. Macon hopes that with this growing desire, the eulogy for the Dyke Bar could become a resurrection. One of the things I'm sort of excited about and have been joking about this week um, because I've heard of three new dike bars opening in the U.S. is that I hope my project becomes obsolete. <laughs> you know, I hope eulogy for the dike bar is something that doesn't have to exist soon. I do kind of think there might be a renaissance coming in terms of queer space for dikey people in part because 
I think now we've we've done a lot of work to well there's always work more to do but to break down a lot of the transphobia and transmisogyny that was present in some women's communities for a long time and I think that as that work has been done and we were able to hopefully do more healing and kind of expand our ideas of like who a dyke is um and who belongs in that space that that there will be a sort of renaissance and energy for it and I think sometimes it takes something almost becoming extinct to suddenly it's just like animals <laughs> you know we, we we go oh my gosh this animal's finally almost extinct maybe it's time to save it and maybe it's the same with dyke bars but i do i do really hope um that there can be a renaissance and i went to sad dyke sundays at the bearded tit and almost wanted to cry because there were so many young dykes in there and also visibly non-binary and trans people and they were all happy and having a good time and it felt really inclusive and positive and dyke centered and I thought, oh my gosh, this is what this is what I hope that the next generation can create. Installation artist Macon Reed ending that story by Nat Tenchich. Their space called Eulogy for the Dyke Bar is open now at the National Art School Cafe in Darlinghurst in Sydney until March the 5th. It'll be hosting panels, karaoke, even tarot readings. And you can visit the University of New South Wales Galleries page for more details. ABC RN helps you understand the world. Find more of our stories on the ABC Listen app.